0: Father in heaven, how grateful we are for the love you have for us. You have given us another day of life, Lord, but a new year is before us. But the truth is, we don't know if we're going to see it to the end of that year. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Help us to walk faithfully before you today. Thank you for the blood of Christ that washes away our sin when we come to you and ask for forgiveness. We thank you for his righteousness that covers us because we have none to offer. We thank you, Lord, so much for a love so great, so deep, so wide that you were willing to send your son on such an expensive errand to redeem a fallen world. And Lord, as we gather here, we ask for um, the benefits of that mediation. We pray, Lord, that, that your angels will be here in force, that your spirit will be poured out in full measure, that our hearts and minds will be in with yours, so we will recognize the message that you have for each one of us. And Lord, we pray for a special blessing upon the presenter that, Lord, he will not in any way interfere with what you're trying to do here today, but rather will be transparent that Christ and him only will be seen, heard, and felt. So please glorify your name here today, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In our journey through the sanctuary, we are learning that God is revealing to us the plan of salvation. And in the outer court, what we have learned so far is that that curtain represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all ye that are burdened, heavy laden. I will give you rest. And as we enter in, Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so coming to the curtain, we're coming to Jesus. The brazen altar is the place where sin and sinner are separated. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he is the sacrifice On our behalf. And you know, that thought really struck me this morning. I mean, imagine you have a death sentence and you place your hand on someone else's shoulder, signifying that they're to die in your place. (coughs) Jesus died in your place and in my place when we accept his sacrifice. Then we come to the laver of water, and Jesus is the fountain of living waters. And, uh, and, he, and, and Jesus was baptized, which uh, inaugurated his commitment to his father and to ministry. And when we enter into the baptismal waters, it, we are committing our lives to Christ, and we are committed to his work of redeeming a fallen world. Cooperating with him in that. Very, very powerful. So the outer core teaches us how to become a Christian. It's the beginning point. And there God deals with our record of sin, and we get victory over the power of, Uh, The record of sin in our life. Does that make sense? But there's more. It doesn't end there. Then we go into the holy place. And in the holy place, uh, we're going to learn now how to remain a Christian. Out of court, how do we become a Christian? The holy place, we're going to learn how to remain a Christian. And in the holy place, we are going to learn um, how to walk with Jesus how to grow in our experience with Him, and there are three uh, furnishings that are gonna, uh, furniture items in there that are going to be teaching us this. The first one, which is going to be the focus of our presentation today, is the golden lampstand, uh, which was located on the south side of the holy place, and it is also known as the menorah. And so you can see. Uh, Artist rendition there on our screen of the menorah. But let's take a look at question number one and dive into our study and and and, and find out what is the message of the golden lampstand. Number one. <clears throat> what was the lampstand made of and what kind of work was to be done in making it? Exodus twenty five, twenty one says, You shall also make a very good. Thank you for joining me. A lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be, ha- be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers you, uh, shall be of how many pieces? That's amazing. God gave to Bezalel a gift. The ability to, to make the furnishings that were needed for the tabernacle. And the record tells us that the, um, the menorah, the lampstand, was made out of one talent of gold. That's about 75 pounds. 70 pounds, and it was one solid piece, and he hammered it out out of that one solid piece. Can you imagine the, the talent that that took? I, can't, I just can't help but wonder as the... the, the Israelites were going about their business, and here was Bezalel, and echoing throughout the camp, wang, 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 as he was working out that beautiful menorah. And don't you know that as that hammer sound was echoing throughout the camp, it was echoing out the hammer sound that would take place in the future. When the Lord of Glory was nailed to that cross for you and me, one talent of gold hammered out. Question number two: How many branches did it have, and how were they arranged? Exodus twenty-five thirty-seven tells us, "You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they uh, so that they give light." In, in front of it. Seven, the number seven. You know, we're gonna find that seven appears over and over. It is a f- favorite number of God. It represents completion and perfection. Seven lamps for it. By the way, do you remember how many times the priest sprinkled the, bl- the, the blood of the lamb in the tabernacle? It was seven times. It comes up over and over. And the lampstand uh, was was set up parallel to the wall in the tabernacle. And you remember the wall was made out of pure what? It was gold. It acted like a mirror. And so the seven uh, branches were lined up in parallel with that wall, and thus it, uh, it gave maximum radiance to the light into the holy place. And that lamp was the only light source in the holy place. Are you with me so far? It's very important. This is not insignificant detail. Pay attention to the detail because there's always a spiritual counterpart. There's a lesson in it. Let's keep going to unpack it. Number three, what was it, what was to be burned in the lamps? Exodus 27, 20 and 21 says, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil, pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn how often? Continually in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall what? Shall tend it from evening unto morning before the Lord. And so, what we find here uh, right now is, is actually the subject of our study today, which is that oil. That oil was the fuel source that allowed the light to burn. And give it light. Allow the flame to burn to give light. The oil is the focus of that lampstand. Interesting also to pay attention to the fact that it was never to go out. It was never to go out. And so that was the work of the priest. The priest was to constantly be filling those um, little lamps to make sure that the light was continually burning. There is a lesson there, and we're going to unpack it. Let's take a look at number four. What does the golden lampstand tell us about Jesus and us, his followers? John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so the, so the lampstand is to remind us of Christ, who is the light of the world, and just as the lampstand was the only light source in the holy place, my dear friends, the only light source we have in this darkened world is Jesus Christ. Amen. That is it. He is the light of the world. Christ is. He is the only one who can share with us and show to us and demonstrate to us what light is, light, of course, being truth. But there's more. How is this to impact us? Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So for many people, the only Jesus they'll ever know, the only Bible they'll ever read is your life and mine. And so God is calling us, let your life be lived in such a way that when people see you, they're going to think of Christ. I love that song that was sung uh, here for special music by Lori. Amen. Do people see Jesus in me? You know, Paul, Paul talks about this, the fact that we as Christians need to ask ourselves that question. Are we in the faith? So how do you get there? how do you get to be like Jesus from where I am? How do you get there from, from here? Well, the Bible's going to tell us the sanctuary. Let's keep going and let's take a look at, uh, at number five as we begin to unpack that question. What does the oil represent? 1 Samuel 16 verse 13 says, then Samuel took the horn of oil." oil and anointed him, this is talking about uh, King David, in the midst of his brothers and the what? The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. It's an interesting moment in the history of Israel. Not too long before this, Israel chose for itself a king. God didn't want them to have one because he was their king. But they wanted to be like everyone else. And uh, so finally, God relented and gave them Saul, who they were like, yay, he's so handsome, he's so tall. And, uh, and, but Saul was unfaithful. And as a result, Saul was rejected. And so God sends Samuel on Aaron to anoint his uh, replacement. And as uh, he goes out, uh, he's sent to uh, Jesse's house. And uh, upon arriving there, he tells Jesse, I want to see your sons. Jesse has eight sons. And he sees the first seven, and the Lord doesn't impress him to anoint any of them. And he asks if he has any other, and then they bring in David, who was at this time an early teen from out in the field. David comes in, and the Holy Spirit impresses him, this is the one. And so he anoints him with oil, and what comes upon him? The Holy Spirit. The oil becomes a symbol dear friends, of the Holy Spirit. If you need more references for that, you can look right there in the note section, Zechariah 4, 1 through 6, and Revelation 4, 5. But the symbol of the Holy Spirit becomes the oil. From this point forward, we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and His work. There's a tremendous amount of confusion today in the Christian world regarding the Holy Spirit. And and please hear me, I, I say this as kindly as possible, um, that will prove fatal. It, it, is actual, it, is, it is vital that we understand um, the identity of the Holy Spirit and His work that we might cooperate with Him. The plan of salvation is based on the freedom of choice. It's based on personal accountability. And so for it to work in, my, in our lives, we have to be able to cooperate with it intelligently. Are you with me? Okay, so, so let's take a look at, at what the Bible has to say, not what Pastor Baute has to say or what the guy on the internet has to say. <clears throat> but let's see what the Bible has to say. By the way, is the internet inspired of God? Is the Bible. So this is kind of like simple math, isn't it? So let's take a look and see what the Bible has to say in regards to the Holy Spirit. Number one, or number six, rather, the first thing. Is the Holy Spirit... An impersonal force, or is he God? Acts 5 3 and 4 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to who? But to God. Very interesting. This is an incident that takes place in the early church. Um, funds are being raised for uh, the, the, the spreading of the gospel. And uh, there was an awesome sermon, and Ananias and Sapphira evidently heard it, and they were inspired to to sell their property and to donate uh, to the cause, and they promised to do that, okay? Well, they sold their property, turned out it went for more money than they thought, and they decided to keep some of it back. And so when they showed up to church with their offering, Peter confronted them, and Peter said, uh, is that all of it? that you promised. And they said, "Yeah." And that's when Peter then says to Ananias, "Why has Satan filled your heart to lie?" And who is he lying to when he said the lie to Peter? To the Holy Spirit. And uh, and then he clarifies that and he 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 this is a this is a big pull back the veil moment. Peter says, "You have not lied to men. You lied to God." And of course, it cost him his life. And it had an amazing impact on, uh, in the area of honesty in the early church, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but, but you know, a, a electricity is a power, it is a force. How many of you have ever lied to your electricity? How many of you have ever heard of anybody lying to the electricity? You don't lie to electricity because the electricity isn't a, 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 a thinking, uh, a rational being. You can only lie to a thinking, rational being. So, so, so as we're looking at this, lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to a thinking, rational being. Are, are you with me? I mean, the, the, the evidence is in the text. You know, uh, there is a, a movement afoot now to make the Holy Spirit an impersonal force. By the way, that is the basis of panatheism. just want you to know that. Um, but but that's not the, the the testimony of Scripture. In fact, Ephesians four five, Paul fleshes this out a little more. He says, "And do not what grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the uh, for the day of redemption. Can you uh, grieve your electricity? No, you can only grieve a person." Uh, it's very interesting, by the way. We're not going to take a lot of time on this. I actually preached a sermon, a much deeper sermon, on just this subject. But, um, but John 14, uh, the John chapter 14 through 16, the Lord Jesus, recorded by the Apostle John, refers to the Holy Spirit in those, uh, in those two chapters. Three chapters, excuse me. In those three chapters, he refers to the Holy Spirit 24 times uh, with the personal pronoun he or him. He and him. Are you with me? 24 times. But, uh, but Jesus, the Savior, is not the only t- one in Scripture who uses uh, a personal pronouns to describe the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are other Bible writers that do the same. And I'll just list a few examples here. Um, Paul says that the Holy Spirit has knowledge. First Corinthians, That's found in 1 Corinthians 2.11. Uh, he also, in verse 12... Describes the Holy Spirit as having a will. Uh, in Romans 8:27, he describes him as having a mind. Uh, in Romans 13:30, 15:30, 30, 30, he describes him as having love. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he describes his ability to commune with us. Uh, and then as, as mentioned in Ephesians 4:30, he can be grieved. In Acts 20:23, 20, Luke tells us he can be resisted. Uh, he also tells us that the Holy Spirit speaks. Uh, Luke also tells us in Luke 12, 12 that he teaches. In Luke 2, 26, he reveals. In Acts 30, uh, 20, verse 13, that he testifies. First Corinthians 2, 10, 11, that he searches. Uh, Acts 13, 2, that he sends. And Acts 8, 29, that he guides. In John, the apostle John, John 16, 13, he declares things to come. In Hebrews 10, 29, he can be insulted. And as we just learned in Acts 5.34, he can be lied to, and this is a humble list I've just given you. The Holy Spirit, according to the scriptures, is the third member of the Godhead. Uh, he is uh, one of the three co-eternal persons. In fact, Jesus, in uh, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission uh, in, uh, in, uh, directs the church that when you baptize somebody, baptize name in the name of the and the, and the Holy, Spirit. Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, we find that the, the sanctuary actually teaches us about the triune God that we serve. Because um, on the throne, which we learned is where is symbolized on the Ark of the Covenant, we find that the Father gave the gift in His Son, Jesus Christ is the gift. And then we find that the Holy Spirit gives us access to the gift. We're going to learn that today. But you, what you find is a triune God revealed in the sanctuary. Remember, the sanctuary is broken up into three parts. Why? Because all three members of the Godhead are involved in your salvation and mine. Very, very important that we understand that. Let's continue uh, in verse 7. Uh, Was Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit? Luke 4, 1 says, then Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So when Jesus was baptized, he was filled and that inaugurated him for his mission. And, And by the way, you need the oil so that you can burn bright. Isn't that right? Jesus was filled. Jesus was the light of the world. And by the way, we need to be as well. And when, when we are baptized, dear friends, when we commit our lives to Christ, we are baptized. God sends an extra measure of his spirit upon us for the purpose of ministry, to reach others. We're going to talk more about that as we go along. Number eight. <clears throat> what precious promise did Jesus make to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion? John 14, 60 says, and I will... Pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you for how long? So this is very interesting now because what we're finding, remember that when Jesus died, he went to heaven and the, and the Bible reveals to us that, and Paul does in uh, Hebrews 8 and 9 that Jesus entered into the sanctuary in heaven. And while there, part of his mediatorial work is that when we pray for the Holy Spirit, he appeals to his Father who sends it. Did you just catch that in the text? Did you get that? Let's read that again. What precious promise. Okay, uh, and I will pray pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Let's take a look at number nine and just flesh this out a little more. Why was it necessary for Jesus to go away? John 16, seven says, nevertheless, I tell the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. By the way, you think the disciples actually felt, oh yeah, it's gonna be to our advantage. You think they felt that way? But it was to their advantage. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And so Jesus, when he uh, became incarnate, fully God, fully man, uh, he entered into the limitations of our human body, okay? So he couldn't be everywhere at once, But now, through the Holy Spirit, he can. And so, when he left, he was actually closer to his disciples through the Holy Spirit than he was prior. And so now, we all have an opportunity to have that close communion with the Lord Jesus as well. And so, here we find that uh, when Jesus departed, and you remember what his disciples were doing in Jerusalem about 40 days after Christ's departure? or after his death, 30 days after his departure, who, who remembers? They were in Jerusalem doing what? They were praying. What were they praying for? Jesus told them what to pray for. They were praying for the Holy Spirit and what descended upon them in great power on the day of Pentecost. Who sent him? Isn't that awesome? And once again, we see the triune God involved in the plan of salvation. Jesus, ah. Uh, Asks the Father, the Father sends the Holy Spirit. You have all three involved in the plan of salvation. Is this exciting you? Amen, amen. All three involved. Let's take a look uh, at number 10. While in vision on the Isle of Patmos, where did the Apostle John see Jesus? Revelation 1, 12 and 13 says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw... Seven golden lampstands, pause, where is John in vision at this moment? He's in the holy place, where? In the heavenly sanctuary. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. What, what clothing is that indicative of? The priest. So John is envisioned and he sees the holy place. He sees Christ standing by the menorah there. This is very significant because those seven candlesticks, if you go on to read there, represented uh, the seven churches. And those seven churches in, in, in Asia represented the seven um, eras of the Christian church, right up to the second coming. Okay? Jesus was in the midst of them. Do you remember the role of the priest and the menorah? He was to ensure that the light never went out. He was to make sure that they were always filled with oil. And so Jesus, in in the seven eras of, of, of the Christian church, was the one that was ensuring that the oil was being poured out upon his followers so that they could be lights in the world and shine. By the way, he's doing that today, brothers and sisters, He's still pouring out his oil. And uh, maybe we'll do a study in the future on the book of Revelation and unpack those seven churches. What do you think? That would be awesome. But let's keep going here. uh, And let's take a look now at number 11. How intimate is the Holy Spirit's union with the believer? John 14, 17 says, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, so what happens is that when we ask Christ into our hearts, into our minds, how does he get there? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would imagine that, that he's right here in the frontal lobe. This is the thinking center of humanity. And uh, have you ever been in the grocery store and you look over at uh, one of those magazines and something inside you says, don't look at that. Come on. How many have been there? Who do you think that was? That was, that was? that was Jesus, actually. The Holy Spirit's a conduit by which Christ communicates with us and into our conscience. Does that make sense? And so it's the Holy Spirit. So, so he, is in, he is in us uh, if we invite Him into our hearts. Number 12, what promise is thus fulfilled? John 28, 20 says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age, or if you have the King James, the end of the world. God has promised. Hey, does that comfort you? Yeah. To know, you know, your whole, your your whole, your whole world may fall apart. Your friends may turn their backs on you. Your family may uh, deny you. But Jesus will never leave you. He has promised that He will not ever leave us. Number thirteen. <clears throat> Is it possible to tell whether or not a person has uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit? John 7.20 says, therefore by their fruits you shall know them. This is a very uh, important text because Jesus is saying the evidence that you are a child of God, that that you have let Christ into your heart, that the Holy Spirit has come in, the evidence is found in the fruit of your life. You know, there are those that say that the evidence is speaking in tongues. But Jesus differs. He says, no, the evidence is a changed life. And that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be done any other way. So let's take a look. Let's unpack uh, what fruits is this text here referring to? Well, Galatians five twenty two and 23 tells us. By the fruit, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. Let me pause right there. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love. God is? Love. Okay? So if Christ is in you, the hope of glory, love is going to be made manifest. So how is that, what does that love look like? Well, everything that follows is, reveals then uh, love in the life. What is it? It's joy. It's revealed in peace in long-suffering, which means patience, in kindness, in goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Brothers and sisters, I can have all the data of Scripture like the devil does and not have the fruits of the Spirit. If if you can, open your Bibles with me. Let's unpack this a little more. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul is going to uh, tell us about some things here that we need to look at. Galatians chapter 5. Paul is going to describe what a person is like without the Holy Spirit in their life and then what he's like with it. Does that make sense? I mean, later on he says, examine yourselves, right? So here's a good criteria. And I'm looking at 5, and I'm going to begin in verse 19. <clears throat> but now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adulteries, okay? And of course, we know what adultery is, is breaking our marital vow, right? It, by the way, it, it doesn't have to be physical. We can, do, we can also commit spiritual adultery in our minds, right? With the pornography is a real quick uh, road to that. <clears throat> now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, Fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, outside the marriage covenant. Uh, Uncleanness, uncleanliness, licentiousness, uh, idolatry, uh, which is is having other things more important than God, sorcery, the occult, hatred, uh, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envies ever been envious, murders, which can be, you can hate somebody, and that's classified as murder also, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. D- does this need to be elaborated upon? That's not going in, into heaven. D- did, you get, did you catch that? If you catch that, please say yes. You know, because there are a lot of people that are, there are ministers that are preaching that you're going to sin and go into heaven. Paul is preaching something different. What Paul's preaching is the gospel. But now, let's take a look at the fruits of the Spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. It's joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. That's the old man, which the baptism is a symbol of. With its passions and desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. By the way, please take note that it doesn't say it's the fruit of the person. Because apart from God, you and I are incapable of producing that can't do it it's the fruit of the spirit it's what he produces in the life if we yield ourselves to him that's what he produces in us can you say amen to that okay let's take a look so what it's after here is a transformed life you know when i a number of years ago i went to my 20th year class reunion and uh, I've shared with you, uh, you know, that when I was young, younger, when I was in those years, I was uh, Dennis the Menace on steroids, and, um, and, and, and worse, actually. And when I arrived in my 20-year class reunion, I arrived as Pastor Baute. And those guys remember the other one. And it's really funny because uh, initially when that 20-year class reunion was, was, was being organized, they intended to have me speak at it. But my kid, but the kids, and it was a Christian school, they, uh, they didn't have an interest in, in hearing a sermon. So they nixed that from the program. And I did not want to go then. I, didn't, I was at the time, where was I? I think I was, in, I was in North Carolina. And I didn't want to go to this reunion. But a friend of mine, a principal friend of mine, encouraged me, he said, let your life be the sermon. So I thought about that. I said, "Okay, then I'll go under that condition." So I went to my reunion. There were things that were going on I didn't participate in. Uh, some of the and, and I, you know, they noticed my absence. And when things passed, how and then I later showed up, and they were picking up on all this. And um, and I was amazed at the end of that weekend how many people came to me and said, "You're not the same person." In fact, one of them said, "You used to be one of us." It was very interesting, but what they saw is, is what the Holy Spirit has been doing, has done, and is continuing to do in my life, but the evidence, the proof of the gospel, the power of the gospel is a changed life. That's the proof, that's the evidence of the power of the gospel. Let's take a look at number 15. How does this love get into my heart? Romans 5.5, 5. now hope does not what? disappoint because the love of God has been what poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us what hope we have hey this doesn't come naturally for me and I know it doesn't for you but it does for God and so as we make the choice of asking Jesus into our lives every day not just once it then gives God the right to transform us As we study the life of Jesus in the Word, and we're going to unpack that a little more, but as we study His life, the Holy Spirit the whole time is working to transform our lives as we yield to Him. Number 16, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? And when He has come, He will convict the world of what? Of sin and of what? And of righteousness and of what? Judgment. You notice again that it's in three Where is it that God convicts us of righteousness, of of sin in the sanctuary? In the outer court. In the outer court, we are confronted with our brokenness. And there we we go to the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So in the outer court experience, when we come to Jesus, He convicts us of our sin. But where do we learn about righteousness? In the holy place. In our next study, we're going to study about the Word of God. Because that's where God shows us what's right. We learn of righteousness. And when we get into the most holy place, we're going to study about the judgment. Did you know that the Bible has a lot to say about the judgment? Do you want to learn about it? It tells us. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Again, pointing to us to the sanctuary of God. And so uh, let's take a look here at Number 17. How does the Holy Spirit work through us to bring about the change? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your what? Your word is truth. And so we're going to find that this change, this transformation process, is dependent upon the Bible, upon God's word. And we're going to unpack that more in our very next lesson. And so, what the first apartment is teaching us, the holy place, is a process known, scholars refer to it as sanctification being set aside for holy use of which the lampstand comprises step number one to have a changed life you have to have the Holy Spirit you have to have the Holy Spirit number 18 what is sanctification and how does it work Peter tells us Second Peter three eighteen. but what mm-hmm. grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by the way What what causes us to grow is to study the life of Jesus. That's what causes us to grow. Take a look at the note right below that, and I'm going to read it aloud, and I'm going to ask you to read along quietly with me. Sanctification is spiritual growth. It is victory over the power of sin. It takes only moments to be justified, just long enough to repent and invite Jesus to take control of our life, accepting the gift of his sacrifice for us and demonstrating this decision through what through baptism but to remain a follower of jesus is the work of a lifetime in other words as long as we live resulting in spiritual growth or the perfecting of character through strength in jesus this is sanctification it too is a gift from jesus it is Jesus living and working in us through the Holy Spirit's power to give us victory over Satan. It is a day-by-day surrender to his way over ours. It's growing. It's studying. You know, children grow when you feed them food. And you and I grow spiritually when we, when we feed on the life of Christ revealed in the Bible. Is this making sense to you? Um, you know, I learned something interesting about popcorn i i like popcorn my dental work doesn't but but i like popcorn and um this is supposed to be popcorn i uh i didn't couldn't find a yellow highlighter i found an orange one so there's orange corn out there i've seen it and um so that's that's what i've got up there right now this popcorn how many of you have oh i'm gonna check i want to test you i want you to be honest with me How many of you have popped popcorn and then noticed there was a whole bunch that didn't pop and you tried for a second performance? All right, honest people everywhere. Um, Yeah, it didn't pop, did it? It didn't pop. It just stayed all gnarled and uh, now it's toasty. But it didn't pop. And the reason it didn't pop is it was missing something. Inside the grain of corn that pops is a droplet of water. And, uh, and as you, as you uh, place an environment where there's heat, that little uh, droplet of water uh, turns to steam and pressure, and finally, poof, you have transformation. You have popcorn. And that's how you get it. The, the little droplet, the other corn that didn't pop, lacked that element. There was no power for transformation even though it was at the right place, but it wasn't filled. Are we listening? You know, something else we need to consider too is that the transformation in the popcorn took place when the popcorn was brought under a lot of heat and pressure. Are we listening? You know, my friends, when you and I go through a difficult experience, if we want the Holy Spirit to transform us, we need to yield to his leading. In that experience, we gotta let the Holy Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to lead us. What does that mean? Respond the way Jesus would have you respond. If, if, if you and I take over, and instead of letting Jesus on the throne of our hearts, we put self on there, transformation will not take place. We're not yielding to that element in our heart. But if we place Jesus on the throne of our hearts and instead of responding the way the old man responded, we respond the way Jesus would have us to, it gives the Holy Spirit the right to change you. Isn't that beautiful? That is the message there in the popcorn. Let's take a look. Let's finish that paragraph. This growth comes how? naturally, when we maintain our relationship with Jesus, in other words, we leave him on the throne of our heart. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, brings many trials and difficulties to discourage us. But Jesus promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We need only to cling to Jesus by faith and claim his mighty promises. And so as we yield to his lordship in our life, it gives the Holy Spirit the right to transform us. Can you say amen? Number 19. Does the Spirit fill those who deliberately break God's commandments? Now now I said deliberately. I'm not talking about the fall into it. I'm not talking about I got blindsided. I'm not talking about I didn't know. I'm talking about we know full well where God's mind is on the subject and we choose to go against it. Are you with me? Does the Spirit fill those who deliberately break God's commandments? John 14 verses 15 and 17 says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. So there's the evidence that we love Jesus. Now look at the next word. Okay, English people, what do you call this in, in, in grammar? A conjunction. It, it, thank you. You're, you're combining, you're, you're connecting two ideas. Are you with me? You, don't miss this. I'm not into English. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing you this for a reason. Don't miss this. I'm into English. I mean, I have to speak it right. But um, I'm sorry. I, I guess I'm I meant to say I'm not into grammar. Although I do find it interesting, but it doesn't reveal itself in the way I speak. Um, so if you love me, keep my commandments, and, okay, so, so something's connected with, with obeying Christ, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, did you see the connection, when we make the choice to obey God, it gives God the right to send you, a yeah, greater measure, who, if you saw that, raise your hand, all right, The spirit of truth whom the world, this is interesting, cannot, they're incapable of what? Of receiving because it neither sees him or what? Knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be wet In you. This is is very important. This is one of the reasons why I said that we better figure this thing out on the work and the role of the Holy Spirit because Jesus says if we get this wrong, we can't receive him. Did you get that? He says that. So we better be careful, be willing to surrender our own ideas up, <laughs> and be willing to uh, to uh, uh, receive the Bible's testimony. So, so very much important. So here we're finding that there's a connection between receiving the Holy Spirit and obeying the Lord. You know, um, how, you know, many of us have had experiences where you see these TV or. Or internet personalities that claim to be very religious. And, uh, and, and, and of course, many times they're having these ecstatic utterances or whatnot. And they, they claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then it comes out later that they were having affairs and running around with prostitutes. How many have heard of this? So how can it be they can make the claim and say this is the sign and yet live this way? When Jesus just said, that if, if you obey me, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Are, are you with me? I submit to you, they did receive a spirit, but it wasn't God's. I'm sorry to, to speak so bluntly, but that's the evidence. Let's, let's call it what it is. Let's call a spade of spade. Let's take a look at the very next verse. It as clarifies as it a little bit more for us. Acts 5:32 says, "And we are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who Amen. Any questions? Does that make sense? You know, it's very interesting. This whole thing really hit me early in my walk with Christ. Um, when I was in Wilmington, North Carolina, going to church, that was the first church I entered into as an adult. I was new in the faith, didn't know my Bible very well. And there was a family there that befriended us and they were, they, you know, they, they had many more years walking with Jesus than we did. And he had some pretty unusual ideas. And he had some texts to, to support his unusual ideas. And I looked at the text and I thought, well, the Bible does seem to say that. And so I went to my pastor, who, it wasn't Pastor Don. Okay, this was before Don came there. In fact, this was like two or three pastors before Don came there. And I went to this man, and, uh, and, and I loved him, but he wasn't giving me any answers. So in my mind, it was a cover-up. And this guy was right. And it was still plaguing me. I didn't quite have peace about it. And I went to a camp where uh, they had this very godly speaker, and as I listened, he was a retired pastor, and as I listened to this man speak, I I really felt the presence of God with this guy. So I made up my mind, I was gonna go talk to him after his presentation, so I cornered him, and I said, look, I'm wrestling with these questions, can you help me? And so I just bombarded him with these questions, one after the other, bam, 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 bam. And he was a real smart pastor. When he was done, he said to me, you know, George, You've asked me a lot of really good questions. Now I want to ask you one. He said, uh, George, and he got right in my face, I want you to be honest with me. Are you doing everything that the Lord is telling you to do? Is there something in your life that you've been holding back that you know God wants you to give up and you're not? And you know, at that moment, the Holy Spirit flashed something on my mind that he had really been pestering me about. And I said, you know, I have to be honest with you, there is something. And then he said this to me, until you take care of that son, God's not going to answer any of your questions. And uh, I felt very convicted what he said I was right. So I went home, determined I was going to take care of business. I remember now what it was, but I did take care of it. And what's so amazing is that in the weeks and months that followed, as I was reading my Bible, he began answering my questions one by one. And what that dear, sincere fellow in the church was teaching me was error. God began showing me what was the truth. God wants us to respond to him. He sends a spirit to us as we make the choice to obey him. Does that make sense? Where did I leave you? In 19? Okay. 20. What is the one sin that that cannot be forgiven? Now this is the question that strikes fear in the hearts of sincere Christians. What is the one sin that cannot be forgiven? Matthew twelve thirty two says, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. What Jesus is talking about here is resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. The reason being is that the Holy Spirit is our lifeline. He is our cell phone, if you will, to communicate with God. And if we ignore him, that's it. We have destroyed ourselves. That is what the Bible refers to as the unpardonable sin. And, um, and and what we're actually doing when we ignore the Holy Spirit was actually we're actually training our minds to ignore Him. Uh, you know, my son, when he was um, 15 months contra- uh, contracted an ear infection, he actually got a superbug. Uh, many of you, I don't know if any of you know what that is, but it's a, an, it's an antibiotic resistant uh, bacteria. And he had this ear infection for six months. And for six months, they had hit it with six different antibiotics, and, um, and, and it was, I, I have to share that testimony with you one day, what God did for my son, but at the end, he still had an ear infection, and they had him on a synthetic antibiotic, it was the big guns, but what he was doing was damaging his hearing, because when you have an infection, your tympanic membrane has to be very flexible. And when it, uh, it get, it gets, when it gets infected, it develops some scar tissue and it's not as flexible. Are you with me? So it begins to affect your ability to hear. But that's what happens to our heart when we resist God. We begin to develop a callus and it makes it more difficult to hear his voice. We're training our minds to shut him out until finally we shut him out. Now, he doesn't do it to us. Guess who did it to us? We do by our own choices. And so that's why it's very vital that we make the choice to yield to the Lord as he communicates with us. Now, if you're here today and you are afraid that you may have committed the unpardonable sin, you have not committed it yet. If it concerns you, you have not committed it. But if we keep resisting the Lord, the day will come, it will no longer concern us. You with me? Does this make sense? If this makes sense, say Amen. Okay, because I usually have a lot of young people. I tremble when I share this because they are very, very conscientious or new Christians, and they're afraid they've committed it. If you're afraid, you haven't yet. But don't resist him. Okay. If you've got a problem, confess it to Jesus. Say, "I got a problem. I can't give it up. Will you help me?" And He will help you. But uh, but just keep coming to Him. Don't give up on Him. All right. Uh, what number am I on? Twenty-one. Okay. When God blesses a person with the Holy Spirit. What does he want them to do? Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be what? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of what? The earth. Um, It's really amazing, but uh, the Lord is telling us he's going to give us the Holy Spirit for the purpose of witnessing. Why? Because the world is going to perish. Aren't you glad somebody knocked at your door? Well, they'll be happy if somebody knocks on theirs as well. And so today we, we, we laid hands on a couple that's going to be going to India on a mission trip. Praise the Lord. They're going to all the world. But you notice here it says, it begins where? In Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria. And you notice it's radiating out. By the way, Jesus was talking to a Jewish audience. Who was in Judea? Their family. Their friends. Their co-workers. And then it radiates out. So in other words, if I am going to present the gospel, I need to be living it first in my house. It begins there. If it's going to have any power at all, then it radiates out. But notice, it just doesn't end there. We have a responsibility to the whole world. Maybe I can't go to India, but I can put money out for the person who can go. Now I got quiet. Are you with me? You know, we we just finished talking about... um, Gordon was just sharing up front here an amazing opportunity we have. We have the opportunity of sending Bible studies to every single address in Coeur in Hayden, in Rathdrum, that's phase one, and we're going to go to the other communities in phase two. You want to talk about maximizing your impact? Brothers and sisters, there are people out there that are looking wistfully to heaven. I want to share this, this story with you. You know, we had a presentation here on talents, Right? Talents is something you could be born with. My Sarah can sing. I don't have that talent. Sarah can sing. She has the talent. Now, um, you, you, uh, you, you, I, I can drive a car. That's a talent. I was trained on how to do that. I was taught how to do that. Okay? By the way, I can use that talent for the devil or for God. Now, before, I used to use it for the devil. I drove like crazy. But when I gave my life to Lord Jesus Christ, I paid attention to the laws and to the signs. So now my talent is being used for the Lord. You with me? That's very good. All right. A gift is different from a talent. A gift is something God gives you when you give your life to Him. The disciples spoke uh, Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. But when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, their language—they spoke a bunch of languages. They didn't go to school for that. That's a gift. Are you with me? Is this making sense? Um, you know, when a prophet has the gift of prophecy, he doesn't—he's not—he—he—he—it's not like he was born with that. God gives it to him. When I went to school, I had a number of learning disabilities. I had dyslexia. Uh, which meant I, see, I saw words backwards, and, and I wrote sometimes backwards. I had another problem, and I don't remember the name of it, but I can look at a page of words, and the space in between the words, I couldn't see the space. So it looked like one big, hunking word. The paragraph was one word. I don't know what the name of that is. but So if I wanted to read something, I had to hold it real close to my face so I can see the space in between the words. right and because of this i was a terrible reader and reading was a humiliating experience for me in a classroom setting and so when the teacher says we're going to read across you know take turns reading that i was like oh and so what i would do is i would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. okay i was the ninth person i would count paragraphs and i would read that paragraph over and over and over and over and over so that by the time it got to me, I wouldn't make as big a fool of myself as I would have been if I was caught off guard. I'm not going to ask for hands. But anyway, <clears throat> so this is what I did. And when I gave my life to the Lord and became a Christian, so I still went through college and got a 3.2. You know, when you have disabilities, you develop other abilities. It's really amazing. So anyway, I go to college, I, go to, I get married, and I'm, I'm going to Wilmington, and, um, and they're constantly trying to get me involved to do things, and my response is always the same, no. George, would you like to read scripture today? No. Uh, George, you, we can use you as a Sabbath school teacher. No. So they, they were kind of wondering if that wasn't like maybe the only word I knew in English. But it was no, no, no. And uh, one day, there was the, the guy who actually brought me into the church. His name was Jerry. Jerry has precious, precious man. He calls me and he says, George, uh, I need someone to read the, 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 the mission story for Sabbath school. Well, I had already rehearsed my response. <laughs> And I was forming the letters on my lips. And the Holy Spirit touched my heart and said, don't you say no. I don't know how to describe an impression, but I felt impressed that God was saying, don't you do it. And I was like, Lord. So I put my hand on the receiver. I said, Lord, you know what's going to happen if I go up there? I'm going to make a fool of myself. No peace. Lord, please don't make me do this. How do you say no to the one who died for you? how do you say no to the one who's done everything good in your life? And I was like, Lord, please, no release. So finally I said, Jerry, I'll do it. But I said, but Jerry, you bring by the article so I can read it first before I go up there. And he said, oh, I wish I could do that, but Jimmy's got it. So you're going to see it for the first time when you go up there. So this is like the worst case scenario for me. So I go up there and, uh, and, and we go up, and the church is out there, and Jimmy has the paper, and so what? It's going to be tag team. Jerry, Jimmy me reads one person, I read the other. He reads that one part, I read the other part, we go back and forth like that. So Jimmy's reading, and then it's my turn to read, and as I start to read, I start to stutter, I start to trip, and it was humiliating. But I was cool as a cucumber. You wouldn't have known what I was going through, but inside I was dying. So I finished my part, Jimmy's reading. while Jimmy's reading, I begin talking to the Lord. And I said, you know, Lord, you're God. And if you brought me here for the purpose of humiliating me in front of all these people, you have the right to do that. So I'm just going to stand up here and I'm going to take it. So now it was Jimmy was done and now it was my turn and I began to read. He healed me. I've never had that problem since. God Gave me the he loosened my ability. I don't see things backwards anymore. I don't see them scrunched. I love to read. But God gave me that gift so that I can share with you the wonders that God has done in my life. And 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 one of that is is taking place right here in this presentation. You are witnessing a miracle. Absolutely. So that's 21. Let's go to 22. How willing is God to give the Holy Spirit? Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father, what? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Isn't that amazing? God is like anxious. He's got the vial of oil. He's waiting for instruments that are willing, that are asking so he can pour it out upon you and me. He's a gentleman. He never forces. My friends, the question is, are we asking? Are we yielding so that he can pour out his oil upon us? Number 23, how does Jesus through the Spirit gain entrance into my heart? This is really a big one. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and... Let me pause right there. That's not where you want Jesus. You don't want him at the door. Where do you want him? You want him inside. You don't want him at the door. Something happened to put him out there. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he what? With me. Jesus never forces entry. He has to be admitted. My friends, when there's something in the life that stands between my soul and my Savior, I pull him off the throne and now he's outside knocking. And we placed ourselves back there. The only way to get him back in is to confess our sin and turn from it. You with me? When we make that choice, we allow him in to our hearts. Let's look at our response as we close. Dear friend, Jesus is the one who lived and died for you, and he is waiting and yearning to pour the precious oil of the Holy Spirit into your life, to fill you with his healing peace and strengthening joy. Would you like to ask him now to take possession of your mind and heart? I want to ask you, if you say yes, will you raise your hand? Will you want that experience for Jesus to pour his oil into you? Let's pray right quick. Father in heaven, you saw the hands that went up. Lord, I ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each in a mighty, mighty way, Lord, that we can experience a close communion with you, but also, Lord, to witness to others. We thank you for this as we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse